0: And those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Palestine Remembered. Today, I've got the privilege, the honor to introduce you to another super-Palestinian. We've got Susan Abuthoa today with us, who's a Palestinian-American writer, human rights activist. She's the founder of a non-governmental organization, Playgrounds for Palestine. She lives in the States. She's written three gorgeous, beautiful books. I'm sure you'll all be very aware of them, Mornings in Jenin. The Blue Between Sky and Water, and her latest novel, Against the Loveless World. Joining us from the States after a tumultuous tour in Australia is Susan Oglohoa. Good morning, Susan.
1: Good morning, Nasser. Thanks for having me.
0: No, an absolute pleasure, Susan. Susan, whenever we have a new guest, we'd like them to speak about their Nukwa story. How about you share yours with us?
1: Well, mine is a Nuxa story uh, because um, my family was expelled in uh, 67. We do have family from Haifa. My grandfather was part-time Haifa, but uh, we're all from a village called Tur in Jerusalem. And both of my parents and my grandmother and my uncles and my aunties, uh, we were all um, kicked out during the 67 war. Some of, uh, some of my aunts and uncles actually were able to get back in the immediate aftermath. And those were those stories are kind of legendary in our family. One of my aunts walked back with um, four small children because she was just terrified of of the tents that were waiting for us. in, in Jordan, my my mother was actually in Germany at the time. Um, she was uh, she got a, a scholarship to study dental hygienist, and she um, so she wasn't able to return like anybody who was out of the country at the time could return. Anyway, so she and my father married in Jordan and then they went to Kuwait, where a lot of Palestinians actually ended up seeking bread and I was born there. My grandmother actually snuck me back into Jerusalem when I was young and a bit of a long story, but um, I lived in an orphanage called Tafil in Jerusalem. and when I was 13, you know, Israel requires that anyone at the age of thirteen or older have papers, you know, whatever yeah. identity cards. And because I was, tech- I didn't, I wasn't registered anywhere. I ended up, but uh, they had me removed. So I came to the states. My father was here in the U.S., and uh, I've been here since.
0: Wow, another story of dispossession and refuge, Susan. We we all share those pains, and unfortunately, our pain gets exacerbated so many times and, and compounds so many times. Now, Louise Adler invited you and nine other Palestinians to the Adelaide Writers' Week. Great credit to her. She's a great humanist and withstood a barrage of abuse from our Zionist media here in Australia. But she mm-hmm. held firm and she invited all of you. We ended up, everybody got their visas, everybody got here to Australia, Adelaide Writers' Week, but the three Palestinians didn't get their visas until 1159 probably 55 seconds. You were one of those that had to wait until the very last minute to get here. Firstly, before we talk about you getting here, let's talk about the challenges you faced for having a view, a Palestinian view.
1: Yeah. So it was literally, I think I got, we got the, I got news that we had the visa on Thursday and my flight was on Friday. Yeah. So we had to. So the festival had to book my flights and my hotel and everything in in, in less than twenty four hours, and I likewise had to pack and
0: <laughs> crazy, crazy. It really was. But then, before you got here, the Zionists immediately went on the rampage. They trolled your Twitter account. They endeavoured to take you down. There was calls for cancellations. Minta Alice, Price House Cooper withdrew their name, but they didn't withdraw their money. Interestingly, three Ukrainian writers went. We will not dignify This panel, yeah. by participating. If Suzanne's going to be there, she called Zelensky a bad word.
1: Yeah, it's. I was. It was that part was kind of shocking to me that writers and supposed intellectuals would be so would identify so strongly with a politician. You know, I mean, you know, one thinks, you know, you think writers um, would be a bit more critical and would have a more nuanced analysis of people who who lead their or leaders who who take their people into war and into slaughter. That they would have a more critical analysis, even if they supported the person, but to identify with someone like Zelensky or any. Any leader who has, a politician rather, I shouldn't say leader who has is documented as as being corrupt. I mean, he mm. was in the Panama Papers. He he ran on an anti-corruption ticket, and and immediately when he got into office, started enriching himself and his cronies and setting up offshore accounts. And we know that we know that he was involved, or at least presided over the you know assassinations of of multiple journalists. Um, the closing down of uh, newspapers, the banning of opposition parties, of labor unions. I mean, it was there was a lot of like a lot of fascist um, activity that he was, and, and and to 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 have a writer say that she idolizes um, someone like that was was shocking to me. And what was even more troubling is that people extrapolated my criticism of zelensky to mean that i was cheering for putin which you know i've never made any I, I just i don't cheer for for politicians in general i don't really identify with them i don't have that predisposition really and and like i said in my statement i don't need sort of reductionist narratives of good versus evil or black and white to to make sense of the world i think that's intellectually lazy, which was, you know, kind of, it was the thing that prevailed in Australian media. No of all, I mean, they were just writing all kinds of things. Not a single one actually contacted me to get a response uh, with the exception of pearls and iterations, which, you know, they sent me like three questions and I answered them and they, they posted those responses right away. But otherwise. You know, of the I think before I came, there were seven or eight op-eds and articles making claims about me that were false, and sort of in decontextualizing the things that I had said of my the things I say about Israel, about Israelis, about Israeli soldiers. You know, don't come out of a they come out of a, a very different context than what Europeans understand. For us, I mean, the people we're talking about are the people who. Destroyed us and are destroying us. The people who kill our children, the people who drag, you know, our our parents and and siblings and children out of their beds in the middle of the night. The people who demolish our homes, who harass us at checkpoints, who you know ban us from our country. I mean, these. So, it there are there are, in my opinion, no words harsh enough to describe that country and the people who serve its military and serve its various institutions. And I would never make any apology for calling them anything, uh, whether it's Nazi criminals abhorrent and all the other things that they that your media took me to task for. And I think it's interesting in that and I and I said this in one of the interviews that the, the journalists and um, politicians object to our reaction to terrorism, uh, that's perpetrated against us. They police what we say and the tone we use to talk about our tormentors. But there's no there's no acknowledgement. there's no there there's no attention to the actual institutionalized terrorism and apartheid that that Palestinians are subjected to. And that's, you know, it's hard to take anybody seriously whose moral compass is so, so blatantly skewed. And I mean, I think these, these people exist in a moral vacuum, quite frankly. So it's hard to take them seriously and it's or to give them really any kind of weight or credibility.
0: I'm sure you'll remember, as we all did, when the bombing first started in Ukraine, all of the white reporters reporting, these, these people are civilized. They have <laughs> Netflix accounts, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you should care these aren't just brown people that nobody cares about and 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 that's the narrative that's where we exist in that space where you know george bush number one iraq one where we became collateral damage 200 kids killed in a hospital or or a school was collateral damage we're not humanized in in their eyes one of the really disturbing things you know and and this mainstream media is getting found out increasingly every day and becoming less and less relevant, which is why all of the Palestinian sessions were sold out, booked out. Why you spoke to packed rooms, Susan, why people were sitting on, on wet grass to listen to you is because the same people that talk about free speech and not counselling right-wing voices about letting Islamophobes and you know the most horrific white supremacists into this country. Uh the moment we move outside of that narrative, well, they're the first people to say you you should be cancelled in particular. Have you ever faced that level of cancellation or vitriol before?
1: It was pretty intense in Australia. I mean we I have faced it in the past, but this was um it's been a while, you know, since Since it's been so, so intense and concentrated, I wanted to kind of reiterate what you said about how blatantly hypocritical the media was when, when the bombing first happened in, in Ukraine, because reporters, honestly, it was a moment of vindication for a lot of us because we have been saying for a long time that they don't see us as human. They don't see us as worthy. They don't, they hold our lives in contempt. And of course, you know, they would deny that. Mm. But the minute Ukraine was attacked, of course, they were saying, this isn't Iraq. This isn't Libya. This is Europe. And then you would, you know, there was that one lady whose voice started cracking, cracking up. up. yeah. This is Europe. Like these people, you know what I mean? And I just, it, it, it was disgusting. It was really disgusting. But it, but it it kind of it validated what we have been saying all along and it, you know they and then it just kind of it continued and and i think they started to temper temper themselves a little bit but even with that even with the public sort of backlash against the hypocrisy they would still slip and what's interesting is that it it spanned all media outlets in the west so it's like so this is it's almost like it's a class consciousness Mm-hmm. Or it's a racial consciousness, rather, I should say, it because it's um it's not like there was a memo that was sent out or right. it's not, like, you know, all white people got together and they they said, you know, that this is what we're going to say. Mm-hmm. No, but there is this they have a shared consciousness that does not include our humanity. It no. does not. So and I think that's part of what we saw. In Australia. That's part of what, that was part of the backlash against me and Mohammed Al Kurd. And they also didn't want the others, but they couldn't find anything juicy on, on Sari or, or Ramzi Baroud, you know. Yeah. But they, believe me, they wanted the, to cancel them and they didn't want them there. And they had trouble with their visas as well.
0: So, and, and speaking in that space, you remember early on a screenshot or a picture of Ahad Tamimi fighting the Israeli soldier before she got yeah. in prison. They went look at this Ukrainian girl fighting for. Oh yeah! yeah, yeah. And then they went, "Oh shit, she's a Palestinian." Delete. <laughs> you know, no apology, no rectification, <laughs> no parallel drawn by any uh, reporter. And even in our lobbying work, I sat with this right-wing senator, and he and he'd made a, a a visit to the Ukraine. And I said, "You know the the determination of an indigenous people to fight and occupy it's inspirational, isn't it?" And he was, you know, all gung-ho. This is a guy with pictures of himself next to tanks, you know. And he said, yeah, it's inspirational. And, you know, what we've got to do is keep arming the Ukrainians so they can defeat this Russian uh, threat. I said, yeah, just like the Palestinians, you know, fighting for their Indigenous people, fighting for their self-determination. He goes, oh, no, no, it's a bit more complex there. I said, "It's no more complex at all. I want to speak to the language that, and and particularly David Bevan, I'll put a link, listeners, in the podcast to John Menadue's piece, interviewing susan but also her youtube statement and to uh, a link to david bevan who's uh, the abc morning broadcaster i think in south australia and adelaide and you should listen to this because we expect a bit more from the abc but david here was trying to be some sort of sky news hack he was endeavoring to to, to trap you susan to corner you into a space where you know as palestinians we have to be we have to be polite and we have to humanise our occupiers in some way. I mean, you said it before, uh, they kill our kids, they imprison and beat our parents. They, uh, You know, each of us has parents buried in strange soil away from their ancestral homes and their parents. With all the crimes of the occupation, everything that's done to us, we have to be polite and they get stuck on a single word like garbage.
1: Yeah. And that, I mean, that was actually the word that, uh, that I was being, that he was, you know, sort of, um, berating me about, um, because I, I use that word garbage. He, it was interesting too, because he was spouting this Zionist narrative that the soldier who was killed was just a guy on his way to a wedding and of course, I called him out on that. And I said, you know, he wasn't just a guy on his way to a wedding. I said, he, he's a he's a um, he's an American guy who left his life, his privileged life in the United States. He's a white guy who went to another people's country to serve in an occupation military with one of the worst human rights records in the world in order to oppress the indigenous people. And he got killed by them. And I, I said to David, you know, you know, that what you know but but he wouldn't admit it and it was just he kept going back he said well and then he said but he wasn't he wasn't oppressing when he was killed like i i mean it was so absurd it was mm-hmm. so absurd as if like he had to be in the act he had to be in uniform in order for it to be okay you know what i mean like as if his crimes and everything in that whole context is erased because he happened to be it's kind of like saying well you know nazi soldiers well well, you know, they weren't doing anything on Sunday. So what they did on Saturday and, and for the year before that doesn't count on that Sunday when he's not in uniform. Like what what is this logic? But and, and this is this is my point. The amount of mental gymnastics that they have to go through in order to paint us as villains is truly impressive. I mean, even, you know, the, the Ukrainian writer that there's a line in, in what she wrote that said, even, uh, what I have learned is that, um, anti-war can mean pro-genocide. What? I mean, like, yeah, that that's exactly right. Like what kind of, what kind of intellectual, um, Acrobatics. Do you have to sort of, you know, flip through in order to 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 arrive at such an absurdity? Um, being anti-war means pro-genocide. Like it, it, it's pretty straightforward. The world does not want to. Th- does not want an escalation of this war. I would say the majority of humanity, even Europe, even in then, and opinions are changing in this country as well. Like we want a different conversation. We don't want the conversation of more and more and more and more weapons to Ukraine. We just, we don't want that. We don't want to continue to, to just light every part of our planet on fire. And that's what the United States wants.
0: Yeah. The best thing is Brown people killing Brown people of the United States. The second plan is white people killing Brown people. And if we have to, white people killing white people. But ideally, can we get some brown people killing brown people? We can sell them both guns, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, as long as somebody's making money selling guns, and I mean, it's big business. War is big, big business. Huge business. And the idea is to keep it going.
0: You spoke about the mental gymnastics of this Ukrainian writer. I mean, how you can be anti-war and pro-genocide. I mean, she's not a writer's whatever, that she can put those words together. I mean, nobody's ever conceptualize putting those words uh, next to each other but then we spoke earlier before we came on air about the mental gymnastics of being a zionist you know from way back when theodore Herzl writing to cecil rhodes saying i'm writing to you about something colonial something you'll be really excited about you know i'm not talking about africa i'm talking about europe in the middle east to where they are today why don't you take us on on that little bit of a journey
1: well look there they're, it's it's the same mentality as Nazis. It's the same mentality as as white supremacists, as the Klan. I mean, it's you know, when you have that amount of power over people who are essentially defenseless. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about people who who are like that. I think they exist in a kind of moral vacuum, to be honest. And I uh that a place where um there is no conscience. Mm-hmm. And and i would hate to be them precisely for that reason i think that they are um they're morally bankrupt as a nation and you know i saw they you know they're having all these protests now because uh jews might experience a small fraction of what they have been pushing you know visiting on us for for 75 years <clears throat> and um one of the placards said you know we were silent about occupation and now we have a dictatorship and of course that doesn't even the reality, yeah. but like that's the level of awareness. Um, that that's the most you can you can hope from from them.
0: Yeah, I mean, what we're seeing now is actually Zionism manifest. It's not actually complete yet. I mean, we mm-hmm. we have suffered the burden of Zionist manifest, Zionism manifest, but the world is increasingly getting to see what it actually is: a racist, supremacist movement, as evil as every other one that ever existed. I had an argument with a with a politician recently. Many of these politicians are groomed obviously at university level and they're spotted by the Zionist lobby as potential leaders and taken on Rambam tours and what have you. And they buy into this anti-Semitic myth. Mm-hmm. And this guy said to me, you know, la la la, I mean if you just taught your kids not to hate.
1: Oh, Jesus. You know,
0: just, just that straight up. And I said to him, I said, D- do, you, do you think that we hate Jews just because they're Jews? I wouldn't care if there was Buddhists, Sikhs, Christians, Muslims. If you take my house, I- I'm going to hate you. How you celebrate God is removed from the fact that you denied me my home, killed my father, raped my mother, stole my orchards and business. That's the issue it's got nothing to do with anyone's religion
1: and it's humiliating to actually have to to be in that position where you have to explain that right i mean i i actually don't i mean kudos to you for for even indulging those kinds of conversations i just don't because I, i just find people like that just um really lowly to be honest and just intellectually frankly stupid if you know somebody who hears that and just believes it wholesale is um without any kind of critical critical thought is just i mean how do you reason how do you talk to somebody like that i can't it's just too frustrating for me and i just and which is why i write books i just if people read if people want to learn they can read and i and i do my i do my part to give them something um to to go to you know one i mean the the teaching your children to hate has been one of israel's tropes for a very long time but ironically um, the U.S. State Department did a study on, you know, because for years and years they've been saying, oh, they're textbooks, they're textbooks. The, U- the U.S. State Department did a study on on Palestinian textbooks and Israeli textbooks, as did um, uh, an Israeli scholar by the name of Nurit. Um, Pellet, Nurit Pellet. Yeah. Yes, um, you've seen her book. Um, She did a, a pretty exhaustive study of Israeli textbooks as well. And in both situ- in both cases, the conclusion was that, in fact, israeli textbooks promulgate hate they uh racism and militarism against palestinians whereas there was no evidence of uh of anything of uh, that israel claimed in palestinian textbooks so you know they they accuse us of things that they themselves are guilty of Hmm. um but Our kids don't need to be taught to hate Israelis. Frankly, it's kind of like you said. I mean, they 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 make us hate them with everything that they do. I mean, anybody ruling over you, it's kind of like thinking that um, enslaved people need to be taught to hate the people holding, you know, whipping them or enslaving them, stealing their labor and stealing their lives. We don't need to be taught that.
0: Now, as Palestinians, we generally and overwhelmingly the, the majority of us are wonderful, wonderful um, uh, activists, and we have intersectional activities across a number of different ranges. You do some wonderful work around uh, animal rights in, in, in the States. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, I work for human rights and, and of course, animal rights. I think that... Um, the liberation of non-human nations is inextricable from uh from from human liberation, frankly. I mean, I think uh the industrialized farming is really industrialized level terrorism. It's horrendous and unspeakably cruel. Um the you know the destruction of habitats, the disrespect of other beings on this planet is sometimes unbearable to witness. Um the you know every all of you know white supremacy racism it all comes it all begins with human supremacy this idea that other animals are are lesser beings and therefore uh therefore everything that they have is within our purview to take. And I think part of one's moral evolution is um is to understand that and to uh, and to repudiate it you know islam was the first it was the first time that people had an ideology of mercy for animals i mean that's the whole concept of halal um and it was it was to show mercy to animals and and kindness and the quran is replete with examples of that i mean there's you know one surah in which uh, a woman was granted immediate and unqualified access to heaven because she helped a dog who was injured and thirsty. So, and of course, uh, unfortunately like Muslims don't necessarily adhere to those things anymore and I think a lot of people forget the spirit of Islam, but um but it is it is predicated on mercy um and and kindness towards animals. And I um y- you know my my sensibility doesn't necessarily come from Islam, but I wanted to point that out. Mm-hmm for people for muslims including my own family <laughs> who you know who think who don't really see the value of um uh, of being an advocate for for animals um they, you know it's kind of people think it's a zero sum game right well let's just let's just rescue the humans first and i don't think that's you know i don't think that's the way i um animals deserve to they deserve to be free. They deserve mm. to uh, live in their own habitats with their own kind, uh, not to be kidnapped and put into zoos or circuses or experimentation or food. They are their own nations, and they, mm. they deserve uh, to be respected.
0: I remember seeing this meme years ago. It was a indigenous Turtle Island person, and he said, if you take all winged creatures out of the earth, the earth will die. If you take four-legged animals and crawling animals, the ecosystem will die. Take the trees out, the earth will die. If you take the humans out, the earth lives.
1: The earth will flourish. The earth lives. Yeah, <laughs> we're parasitic. We're a disease on this planet. I mean, the earth is a living. If you if you think of the earth as a living organism, we're we're like we're pathogens.
0: And certainly, capitalism—you know—endeavouring to monetize flora and fauna. Well, in fact, it has monetized flora and fauna. That surely is the beginning of the end there. Yeah.
1: Well, I should say wait, I mean, I shouldn't say we, right? Because it's not all humans. There are a lot of societies that have created um, ways of living that are symbiotic with the planet. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of indigenous societies, in particular, have a, a respect of the natural world and a sense of symbiosis in uh a, a living in ways that aren't um, predatory or parasitic so it's really as you said it's it's um it's a capitalist system that that's that's predicated on extraction exploitation and and just taking everything
0: That was the brilliant Suzanne Abulhoa who came to Australia for the Adelaide Writers Week to much consternation from Zionists all around Australia and the mainstream media but she came, she saw, she conquered and spoke to packed audiences. Suzanne Abulhoa, do yourself a favour, go to the podcast and check out the links to some of Suzanne's work. I'll be talking in the coming weeks about Nakba 75, 75 years since the Nakba. May 13, a national day of action around Australia Be sure to save that day, May 13. It's a Saturday. There'll be a national day of action. And to my Muslim brothers and sisters, a blessed and happy Ramadan. May all your prayers and fasts be accepted and enjoy the family time. Susan, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. We look forward to you coming back to Australia for a longer tour and some holiday time, hopefully. Inshallah. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, share the podcast. And remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.
1: Free Palestine.
0: Rock and roll.